In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So as we approach the end of the Holy Week, we recall all of the amazing readings that we've read throughout the week, this uh, amazing collection of uh, prophecies and homilies and and expositions and uh, all the beautiful hymns that are sung only this time of year, all the commemorations um, that the Church Fathers put together in this really nice uh, you know, Holy Week experience that we all have, these amazing sermons that we also had uh, from some of our servants in the Church uh, throughout the week, all the amazing Gospel readings that are assembled and to tell one amazing story of the Holy Week, the Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ and his final saving work, uh, and the final things that he accomplished for us. Uh, it was a life-giving week. And they're all pointing, of course, to today, the Good Friday, and his final words on the cross where he says, It is finished. It is finished. The mystery of God's saving work is completed on the cross. Uh, the problem is solved, right? We had a big problem before this point. You know, humanity's human nature was corrupted. Humanity began to forget God. They began to worship God among the slime, among the things that they saw, the touched. You know, they worshiped the sun, the moon. They, they didn't worship anymore, and they forgot about the creator of the universe. They forgot their creator. Uh, before, before Christ, we were in debt because of our sins, right? And we needed to be ransomed. Uh, and this was called the divine dilemma, the, the problem that was facing God. And the only solution that was uh, before Christ was to come in the flesh and to be living in the manger, born in the manger, living a poor life, and finally to Good Friday today on the cross. To be, as we read today, to be spit on, to be beaten, to be put on the cross, to be mocked at by those who just a few days before were glorifying him on Palm Sunday. So humanity's nature was recreated with, with the unity that he brought to us with, with God in the incarnation. And humanity once again saw the Father. They, they was before, you know, they were empty as far as knowledge of the Father, but now they got to, they got to see the Father firsthand uh, through his life-giving um, sermons that he gave through the miracles that he did and they were able to see him and touch him and see the things that he did firsthand and of course uh, that this was uh, a turning point in human history so after seeing him for example his authority over nature and all the evil spirits healing the blind raising the dead changing water into wine catching the fish walking on water cursing the fig tree restoring the severed man ears to just to name a few of the things that we've read this week and rising again from the dead which we'll celebrate um, in just a couple days the miracles of the cross also were evident to everyone the earthquake the sun that was darkened um, the rocks that were rent apart the veil of the temple that was torn in two signifying that there is nothing between us and the Father, that we have been reconciled to the Father, and that temple that separated all of humanity from the Holy of Holies, now we're able to go to those Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies that we all experience in the church today, this time of grace that we, again, if anything in the last year that we took maybe for granted, these are things that all of this works were for, that we can live in the way we live today, in partaking of the baptism, and of course of the, the communion and repentance, and, and all the grace and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It offers the perfect, he offers that perfect sacrifice because he alone was divine. He was divine on the cross. He was, the, he was man, but he was also divine. 
um, and that allowed him to make this sacrifice on behalf of Allah. At the same time, he showed himself mightier than death because he resurrected. So we look at this and we see two opposite marvels happening. Two opposite marvels. The first one is his death for all, for all of humanity. And the second one, which seems opposite, is his resurrection, again, for all of humanity. And in this uh, story, we never separate the story from uh, of the crucifixion with the resurrection. The two are linked. We can't stop at the story. You know, some churches, for example, overly emphasize just the crucifixion, but our the crucifixion is the is not the end of the sentence. The sentence continues, and it ends with the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the victory is. Saint Athanasius says, therefore. Um, have no fears then now that the common savior of all has died on our behalf we who believe in christ no longer die as men died before and we boldly say death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your where is your sting O hades where is your victory but though he had to die for the salvation of all why the cross and we kind of talked about this a little bit on sunday why specifically the cross he allowed his enemy to choose the way in which he should die he gave the enemy the opportunity to do their, his worst. The enemy Satan and all those who followed him, he said, do your worst. I'll hand myself over to you in a show of uh, willing weakness that he gave himself up to his enemies to decide his fate and to decide how he should die. And they chose the cross. And of course, that cross has become now the symbol of our victory. And we see this in the Old Testament through many prophecies. We don't have time to go through all of the Old Testament prophecies, but today we'll just mention a couple of them. Like, for example, David. David, what did he cut off Goliath's head with? His own sword. So he took the sword of his enemy and cut it off and cut off the head and established victory over the enemy. And in the same way, Christ took the weapon that Satan chose, which is the cross, and turned it into now our sign of victory. And this is our sign of victory. And Christians glory in the cross, right? It becomes our point of glory. This is why we chant Psalm 151, uh, which we'll sing tonight, by the way, in Apocalypse Night. Hopefully you all can make it, 11. Uh, in a beautiful tune that's only sung once a year. Um, and uh, we'll begin that in a few hours, God willing. The church, of course, glories in all of the actions that our Lord Jesus Christ did, everything that he did. And we have like minor feasts and major feasts. And, and these are the events in Christ's life that we as a church, together as the body of Christ, we celebrate. But the glory of glories is the cross. St. Paul says, but God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why do we glory in the suffering of the Lord? Because he truly did suffer. As a man, he truly did suffer on the cross. We're not ashamed of that suffering on the cross for many reasons. First, that he didn't do so, he didn't suffer on the cross because he deserved it because he was sinful, that he did any kind of sin. He was just. And even the, um, the, the Roman uh, soldier confessed it, the right hand thief confessed it, nature confessed it at the time of his crucifixion. He accepted it willingly for our sake. He, he himself foretold that this was going to happen, right? He said, uh, when, I lift, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And we know that even though he knew in Luke chapter 9, it says he steadfastly, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That means he kept his eyes focused on Golgotha, on where he was going to be crucified in Jerusalem. He calls this the coming hour a glorification, 
He says, the hour has not come for, my, for me to be glorified in John chapter 12. He himself glories in the cross. So the creator of the universe, who is unrestrainable, allowed himself to be restrained by the soldiers from the time of Gethsemane. And we look at how many people he traveled to in, in a night. Uh, he was led from the Garden of Gethsemane by the soldiers to Anas, the former uh, high priest. And then Anas sent him to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And from the Sanhedrin to Pontius Pilate. And from Pontius Pilate to King Herod. And from King Herod back to Pontius Pilate. And from Pilate to the people. And from the people who said, we have no king but Caesar, back to Pilate. And from Pilate, finally to the cross. The soldiers who restrained him made him a form of entertainment and mockery. They, they mocked him saying, you saved others. He, they, um, they said, oh, you're the king of the Jews. They beat him and they made this crown of thorns for him that again has become a symbol and a token of our glory. They gambled over his clothes. While he was on the cross, imagine Christ looking and seeing them gambling over the clothes that he was wearing. In all this, he willingly accepted this passion for our sake. And as he says himself, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So most importantly, we look that the cross is not the end of the story. We glory in the cross because of the resurrection. We glory in the cross because of the resurrection. Through his three-year ministry on earth was finished. It was finished on the cross, yet it wasn't still the end of the story. He descended into Hades, as that icon over there shows, handing, you know, picking up Adam and Eve from, from the grave. And then he resurrected from the dead, being the first fruits of the resurrection of humanity, of those who would believe after him, uh, blazing the way, as it were, for us to resurrect as well. We ask, why did he do all this? And if we ask any child here, why did Christ do all of this? Why, did he, why was he crucified for us? They know the answer. It's because he loved us, right? But though we know the answer, how deep can we really ponder this concept of him loving us so much that he actually died for us? It's beyond human standards. Uh, from his birth to death, he was a person that was acquainted with sorrow all of his life. And in his final week, which is amazing, it's, um, he show, it shows exactly how much he does love us. Right? Every little step of the way, it's an expression of his love for us. It's no wonder that the New Testament um, books, the Gospels, a good portion of them are dedicated to just this last week. If you look at the weight of the whole Gospels, you see many chapters at the end of the of the of the gospels dedicated to just this week because in this week he was betrayed he was abandoned he was spat on he was beaten whipped and mocked and stripped and given a crown of thorns carried across through the streets nailed to the cross stabbed with a spear given sour water to drink so why did he do this at first glance someone may say that this is unworthy of god how can god go through all this God, who deserves to receive glory in heaven, um, has now been brought to a manger and now crucified on the cross. But when you look at it, it is worthy of him when you consider his love and, in his, and his humility that he shows of us. We all know the answer that he loved us. But though we know the answer, it's, it's really impossible for us to fully comprehend. But as much as our minds can handle his cross and his passion during this week, it does express to us the love that he gave us. Suffering is a clear manifestation of love. 
Uh, how do we show our love to our husbands and wives? We sacrifice for them. How do we show it to our children? We sacrifice. How do children show the love towards their parents? They obey and they sacrifice for them as well. Sacrifice is the way we show love, and this is how our Lord showed His love for us. When we go to heaven, we will forever, unto eternity, see the wounds of Christ in His hands and in His feet and on His side, and maybe the where His crown of thorns were. We will forever see them, and we will always continue to grow in our understanding of the depth of this love for us, for eternity. Because this kind of love is eternal, and we there's no depth, uh, there's no uh, limit to how much we can understand and grasp it. We have a lot of church fathers who always tell us to just look at the cross and comprehend it, and and contemplate on it. Abunab Shoy Kamal used to really emphasize this. Just look on the cross, contemplate on it, and grow. Begin that eternal uh, journey of understanding God's love, and those wounds that are there present that will be with him forever, we will see those in eternity in heaven. Um, such love can give everyone a place in his heart. He has a lot of room for all of us. And this is why St. Athanasius says um, that the cross was necessary because he was nailed with his arms outstretched, welcoming all to himself. Nailed um, open so that no one can close him. No one can close his arms. And he, as he himself said, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to myself. So he stretched out his hands on the cross to encompass the entire world. The entire world can fit in his open arms. And there's plenty of room for all of us there. As we look at, for example, St. John the Beloved in the arms of Christ at the Last Supper, this is where we want to be. So Christ on the cross said it was finished. Because on the cross, he offered a ransom, redemption, and propitiation on behalf of all of humanity. He died for our sins so that he takes away the sins of the world, as we say uh, every liturgy. From the very beginning, from Adam and Eve, Christ began this work of salvation. From the very beginning, he promised them that he would put enmity between you and the woman, between Satan and the woman, and between Satan's seed and her seed. And he... Christ will bruise um, his head and, and that his foot will be bruised. His suffering and crucifixion were prophesied about in very clear terms that we've read about all week in about the Old Testament. God was guiding humanity to look to the moment of the cross that we celebrated today. He was guiding them through many events, epic events, epic stories that we read about in the Old Testament, uh, in the sacrifices and the events and the um, symbols that are in the Old Testament, all of them point to, of course, the cross. And we, time would fail us to really talk about all the prophecies that we've read during the week that point to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we read many of them during the week, but the, and we should, as Christians, be very familiar with these prophecies. Um, when somebody asks you, you know, where is Christ's cross uh, prophesied about, we should be somewhat familiar. Uh, this comes with a little bit of work, like St. Cyril of Jerusalem says, Let not your hand be stretched out merely to receive wisdom, but let it be ready to work for wisdom. We should be willing to work and try to understand the things and be familiar with all of the prophecies about our Lord Jesus Christ. So that if somebody comes and asks, we're ready to stand firm, not necessarily to debate, but for us to stand firm. So throughout the ancient test, there are many symbols and stories that point to the saving cross. Abraham, who offered Isaac as a sacrifice, 
With Moses, there are many of these kind of prophecies. With Moses in the battle of Amalek, with Moses who uh, carried the, the serpent on a wood, and with his wooden stick that he mixed water with blood in the Nile. Uh, all these things point to the cross. David and Goliath, the story of the Passover that we read today. The story of Noah was saved by entering into a wooden ship uh, through, the, through its side. And if you take, uh, St. Augustine says, if you take the, uh, the ship of Noah, it's proportional to the size of a human being. So you just, and it looks like we're on the same size as a human being. And then he has the side and we enter in through the side for salvation. To those on the outside, the cross may seem like contemptible, reproach, weakness, curse. It's like some kind of curse. But to Christians, it means redemption, forgiveness of sins. It means reconciliation between us and God, something that we can really depend on as far as our relationship with God can never be shaken. It doesn't depend on our sins and our own righteousness, but the sacrifice that our Lord made. So we can rest assured about our relationship with God the Father. Um it's also fulfillment of prophecy. The cross is fulfillment of many prophecies. It's a deep expression of God's love, as we talked about, and it's hope and victory because it's followed by the resurrection, which is, of course, the, the seal of our victory over death. Christ's strength is made perfect in his weakness that he bore for our suffering. In Christ's weakness that he bore willingly for us, we find strength, we find power, we find uh, glory. And so it is the same with us as well when we as Christians are forced to carry our own little cross. Carrying the cross has a great meaning to us Christians. Uh, various crosses exist in our life and we shouldn't shy away from them cowardly, especially those that relate to our faith. If there's a cross that limit us to having faith, those are the ones we should bear willingly and courageously. We shouldn't think that a cross, of course, uh, some kind of calamity or some kind of problem in our life means that we've been abandoned by Christ because the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ has assured us that that would never happen. So may Christ give us that endurance, that strength to bear our own sufferings and crosses like our Lord Jesus Christ did for us, that we may at least a little bit offer him the small tokens of our crosses, those small crosses that we bear, and offer it to Christ in return for the love he showed us, that we can reciprocate our love towards him whether they be external or even internal crosses that we may bear. Of course, to the ultimate joy, hope, and power of the resurrection that we will experience, God willing, uh, in peace in a couple of days, uh, to whom uh, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.